Tell me, do we have time for another number? Oh, I think so, Jimmy. What tune do you have in mind? back listeners to this episode of drinking matters my name is brian and with me first time guest great friend of mine we haven't had the chance to hang out as much and i kind of miss it dom we need our drinks my friend dom how's it going hey brian um it's going okay i mean with everything going on it's kind of like managing through and everything but we will touch on that we will we will we'll talk we'll talk more but um thank you dom for uh coming in on this uh episode of drinking matters really appreciate you we've been planning this for about a week now i would say right yeah yeah about a week a couple weeks um and it's been something that's kind of like i've been looking forward to the past week Uh because like the topic that we're about to discuss is something that i'm very passionate about and like my hopeful career aspirations is to talk more about what we're about to discuss so gotcha. you know just preparation for the future perfect so before we move on to the topic at hand uh do you care to introduce yourself real quick like what it is that you do what your aspirations are uh before we move on so that way we kind of get a clear picture yeah so uh, my name is dominic avenio i am my background is in uh, neurobiology and biology uh, biological sciences right now i'm working full-time as a lab assistant in one of the research labs um, here at UC Irvine, um, particularly focused on Alzheimer's disease and trying to create new generations and new breeds of um, mice that can model the disease. Okay, excellent. And then aspiration-wise, you said that you want to go into? Yeah, so uh, aspiration-wise, hopefully, like um, I'm hoping to reapply to some PhD programs that we can get some training into um, really talk about and about neuroscientific research, especially as it pertains to the public. Mm-hmm. Um, and this field is uh, under the umbrella of science communication. I've been trying to get into science writing um, opportunities. I have a freelance blog that I kind of write in about every other month or so. So yeah, I mean, uh, the topic that I've hand is health literacy literacy so this is really relevant to something that i've it is. talked about in the past. and we've talked about this before when we used to um this was like what a couple of months this was last year last time that we yeah, hung yeah, out yeah, before yeah. everything last we year. talked about this when we went to go out for drinks and uh we discussed pretty much what health literacy and science literacy uh means to us and what we think of it um it's a topic i've somewhat studied because uh, i my undergrad was done uh, it's health sciences essentially and they want us to learn pretty much how to read journals, how to do research papers, mm-hmm. and then how to distribute that information uh, to the public in a way that's understandable to everyone else. And then right. you had your takes on it. And uh, I think we had like a good two-hour conversation just pretty oh, much. Oh, yeah, it was really you know, great. I, yeah. I missed that. Yeah. I missed that, dude. So we'll go into that. We'll go into yeah. that uh, with that episode. Yeah. But uh, before we go on, it's tradition on the show pretty much to uh, drink as we talk. So uh, for you, Dom, I pulled out my scotch. Nice. Right Thank here. You. So, Appreciate it. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> uh, so before we go on, cheers, Dom. Cheers. Cheers. I have um, some stuff that I picked up from Trader Joe's. It's a mango cart from Golden Road. And I think you mentioned last time, uh-huh. last year, you mentioned Belching Beaver. So I have that as well. There we go. Perfect. Cheers, Dom. Let's go ahead and start. 
Um, so for those that uh, are listening to this episode, um, actually, we're doing two things. We are IG living uh, this pretty much episode, so we're streaming this. At least. <laughs> we're streaming this on Friday uh, on June nineteenth. Yes. But this episode will actually premiere on my YouTube channel uh, next week, next Friday. So uh, if you guys care to re-listen to the whole episode, I'll go ahead and post. The link is on my bio, so you can go ahead and check out the YouTube channel, and that episode will be posted up there. Um, I kind of like this idea, though, live streaming yeah, the, uh, yeah, the episode no, before. I mean, the... I'm just trying to like, hopefully you brought it expand up. my thing. Yeah, yeah it, was, like... it was a good idea. I think I enjoyed yeah. it. It's pretty cool. So if you guys are joining on IG Live, welcome. Thank you guys for uh, tuning in. Uh, you guys want to comment Appreciate and say anything? The support. Yeah, bring it on. Bring it on. We'll go ahead and uh, we'll go ahead and uh, bring up any questions that you guys have. But let's go on. Topic at hand: Health and science literacy. Yes. Um, I'm going to go ahead and ask this question: Does health literacy exist? Yeah, I think so. In the same way that someone can be knowledgeable of like cars or of um, any other sciences, you have a sort of awareness of things um, such as health mm -hmm. and I remember because I was listening to your previous episode on this um, and you mentioned that science literacy was more of the method methodology methodological mm -hmm. um, aspects of sciences so like how to read journals how the scientific process works how the statistics work how people know the things they know mm -hmm. um, and whereas health literacy is more Gear orient or goal oriented. Mm -hmm. So you have like you mentioned diabetes. You want to communicate risks of diabetes and the um, uh, stuff that can lead to um, the onset of diabetes. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, in the same way that someone can be knowledgeable of cars, of plants, of space, people can be knowledgeable of health, and that varies between populations. Gotcha. Okay, so pretty much there's an agreement that health or health literacy and science literacy, two separate fields, right? That there's like a, there's an evidence yeah. that there's yes. a difference there. Yeah, now, I usually consider um, science literacy as sort of like the umbrella, and then inside that you have different aspects of literacy. So you have health. Um, what was that thing called in biology where they teach you about like the different families and genomes and stuff like that? Do you remember what it was? Uh, phylogenetic tree yeah that there you go there you go that's yeah, like okay, immediately okay. as soon as you said umbrella i'm like oh yeah there's that that, that actually yeah, studied yeah, in yeah. biology yeah so that's one way of putting it right there mm -hmm. now um, is there yes we're gonna say something yeah so actually so i actually want to hear your take on this because um the way you've been talking about health literacy mm -hmm. is i think one way to also frame it is uh, it's a part of risk communication because mm -hmm. you can be health literate but it's another thing also if you're just going to be communicating risk then you can also communicate the risk of climate change mm -hmm. for example you know and there's that part of literacy there so it's, i think definitely the main point that i think you drove in the previous episode is that the differences was that science literacy was just kind of like general like you said but health literacy is more goal oriented so there's a goal there's initiative to this so kind of to expand on what was i what i was saying beforehand it's like when I think of science literacy, I think of how can you essentially give out the information that's found in journals to the public. Right. So when I look at a scientific journal, you have a different setup than something like a health article, for example, mm -hmm. right? No, for so sure. in front of me, I have a, uh, a journal. 
just to kind of because I, I dude i'm so rusty it's been almost i think like two years since i've actually oh, yeah. looked it's, at it's a scientific like a term. it's a muscle you gotta yeah. just somehow you gotta you gotta readjust it but i yeah. you know in my undergrad i would have to read these to do research papers and stuff like that but when you look at a scientific journal it's written out in a way that's kind of confusing if you haven't trained yourself to a you know, look at what you're yeah. supposed to look at. You have no, your introductions, sure. you have your methods, which is kind of the overview of pretty much who's in it, uh, the the different variables, uh, the reviews, the procedures of the experiments, so on and so forth, yeah, yeah. statistical, you know, analysis. Then you have your results, which is pretty much just kind of giving you every detailed result yeah. of your experimentation. Mm -hmm. And that goes into pretty much every point from errors to what those errors mean, uh, the actual results that you want to find, mm -hmm. any surprise results, things like that. And then the discussion portion, which is pretty much just explaining every aspect of the experiment from right. things that went well, why you picked those variables in there, and even why you think the errors existed. Mm -hmm. And then I think there's like a conclusion. Yeah. yeah, the conclusion, which is like basically the overall summary. Of that. Oh, yeah. But, and no, yeah, so that's great because, um, and that's one of the barriers that kind of prevent the public from having access to this sort of information is that mm -hmm. the structure of scientific articles are so rigid. Mm -hmm. Like it's as if you have to be trained in the field to understand how to work your way through mm -hmm. reading such a journal. So if you want to make an analogy of this, it's like um, studying for the SAT or the GRE. Um, there's a certain way to go about this, but unless you don't, unless you like actually train yourself into it, there's no way that you can actually know all the nips. Yeah, tips and tricks. It's it. it's you said it you said it yourself in a perfect, in a great way. I think it's it's a muscle. Like you know, yeah. you have to train yourself to know what you're looking for. Um, you look at these journals and these journals try to explain the idea that you might agree on that you might want to know more about. Mm -hmm. But then these journals are written out so that it not only explains the results that you want to, or that the results that you're looking for, but it's also giving you errors as well. Right. And if, unless you know how to depict or decipher those errors they might be taken incorrectly. They might be discouraging you from going on. And so that's where science literacy comes. That's where, you know, my belief in science literacy comes in is that these journals aren't necessarily meant for public consumption. When I think mm -hmm. of science literacy, I think of how can you get those journals and write them in an article so that you can distribute the information right. properly to the public. You know, you don't need all the errors and all the data and all the variables and stuff like that. You can, and you can pretty much dilute it enough so that the public at, you know, a basic reading level could pretty much read this and understand what's going on. Yeah. In terms of health literacy, there's a difference, and I think it's, no, it's yeah. the same thing. I think you explained it best when you said that science literacy is the umbrella, and then the branching, you know, it branches out, and that's where health science or health literacy comes in. Mm -hmm. Where health literacy is essentially how do you explain to the public the benefits of doing a certain yeah. thing? Because when it comes, how to contextualize the research mm -hmm. findings into yeah. something that the public can consume. Exactly, because health health research essentially it doesn't go as in depth as other you know sciences when it right. comes to things like um, psychological studies. Uh, in your mm -hmm. field, neurobiology, you still have to right. do a bunch of experimentation, and in health sciences, you don't. You're not looking at all these different errors and you know analyzing and all this stuff. You're looking at variables, but not to the extent that you guys are. Right. And so when you guys try to, or when health uh, researchers essentially try to, you know put out that information out there, 
um, it's different. It, it's a lot simpler, yeah. and you can kind of explain your findings to the public without diluting it as much. So no, there is no. a difference there. Um, now, next question that I have for you, is there an evident lack of science communication in the world? Oh. Is it evident? Because you could say yes, and you can also say no. Okay, so I'm going to say there isn't a lack of science communication of the world, but hold on. Okay. I'm just going to clarify on this. Okay. Be you mentioned, and I agree completely with this point that you mentioned in the previous podcast, there's just so much information mm -hmm. out in the internet now. And um, you mentioned people in social media are given platforms despite not deserving of it. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not necessarily a lack of science communication. It's more of just a lack of how to navigate through that. Um, because for me, like I have complete faith in when I'm doing science writing, I have complete faith in my audience to like follow through as long as I'm doing a good job in making that language accessible. Mm -hmm. Like um, one of the most prevalent misconceptions that the science community has in terms of science communication is um, what's known as the knowledge deficit net, um, model. Mm -hmm. That's the, um, and just to simplify, um, simplify this, it's sort of like the idea that an uneducated public will comprehend science less. Mm -hmm. When really, um, it's sort of like an equal playing field. Everyone kind of comprehends science because they have that um, ability to sort of understand it. It depends on the actual communicator who's trying to communicate the science. So in terms of whether there's a lack of science communication, I think in the public there isn't, but I definitely think there is a lack of science communication in the science community, just coming from a science. Okay. So I want to backtrack to the point that you said first. You don't think that there is a lack of science communication, but there is a lack of proper methods to communicate to the yeah, public yeah, yeah. So there's, of what's going on. There's so much science, and I'm doing air quotes here, you can't see it on the podcast, but science communication. The quotes. Going on. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, it's like, it's, well, there, yeah, there's a lot of things to go into hand with terms how you consume science communication. Um, and a lot to do with it is just the platform you're given. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in terms of platforms, are you talking about, you know, individuals out there who are trying to communicate science or health to the public? Are you talking about those, you know, with a YouTube channel? Are you talking about those no, with exactly. magazines yeah. so or blogs? I would argue pretty much everyone, including the scientists who have these sort of um, avenues of social media as well. They all have um, a certain platform and based on like, their credentials, how they're reasoning, and, and usually how they talk about it mm -hmm. um, sort of determines whether the audience can understand it or agree with it. And I think the importance part there is the agreement part. Mm -hmm. um, because despite how much you can like um, talk about the science, if you can't get someone to agree with it to sell or market what you're saying to them, mm -hmm. then that kind of causes that disparities between understanding and um, engagement. Do you think the platform matters? Because when I was doing my research papers, I would essentially consider how I would distribute my information. Mm -hmm. uh, so one of the classes that I took, it was a research class. It was a research, or it's a grant proposal class, pretty much. 
And in that one, there was a portion where essentially they wanted us to distribute the information out to the public. And they asked us, well, what avenues would you essentially take? Mm -hmm. Would you take, you know, an avenue where it would be something along the lines of flyers or, you know, having seminars or uh, would you do presentations or videos and stuff like that? Um, so it, it, for me, and you know, my take on it is that I do think that platforms do matter. I think yes. that when you try to reach out the different demographics, uh, according to age or race or whatever it may be, mm -hmm. your platform of choice actually matters. So if you distribute, I don't know, let's say a, um, a, a health science article in a magazine, your demographic mm -hmm. is going to be far different than somebody's, you know, like, or than distributing that same information on yeah. a YouTube channel, for right. example. No, I completely agree. Like, yeah. um, and sort of just back or sidetracking this, but you mentioned platform matters. I completely agree in terms of science communication, like um, whether you're engaging with people through Twitter, through TikTok, through Instagram, through YouTube, um, you will be reaching a certain demographic of people. Mm -hmm. And I think that really just depends on your own personal goals with mm -hmm. this science communication uh, media, whether you want, and trying to reach the specific demographic you had in mind. Like, for example, if you're someone who's trying to get young people into the scientific communities, get them excited about it, then you could go for more um, popular media that are popular amongst them, like TikTok or Instagram or Twitter. Mm -hmm. um, if you're trying to talk to maybe the older generations, then perhaps magazines or newspapers or even news outlets might help mm -hmm. um so yeah definitely platform matters and it's sort of just a lot of it depends on you as the communicator and what you want to achieve if that makes sense i don't know well at least the way that i can relate to right. you know health and science right. let's put let's just stick with science communication mm -hmm. and health, uh, science literacy yeah. the way that i can relate to it is as a child i got into sciences because of bill nye the science guy Right. And when you think of – and as silly as it may sound, it's kind of the gateway to yeah, 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 yeah. finding interests in the sciences because even though his show was very – I mean, it's a kid's show, you know? Yeah. But even though it was very much simple sciences, it got you to understand why certain things were – or right. worked the way they work, you it know? It really just got your brain going. And exactly. And yeah, so no, it's that, that platform itself, you know, through video – that's how you get the younger generation. Yeah. And so now, and I've seen this kind of in the science community, which is a little bit frustrating. It's, I feel like the science community now expects younger generations to understand what is being said through platforms that they have no interest in. Yeah. When you look at this and say like, oh, well, how could you not know this? It's, it's literally written on Time Magazine and it's yeah. online. You kids are always online. So why don't or you, you know? if they like have a seminar and uh -huh. they expect the kids to come in, like, no kid's going to come to a no, seminar. No kid's going to sit through an yeah. hour seminar to try to understand the benefits of whatever it is that they're trying yeah. to explain, you know? It's not what they want to do. Kids want to go outside and play or they have short attention spans. So you want right. to give them something that's maybe 10 to 15 minutes long, which is where YouTube comes in. Yeah. I'm not as familiar um, in regards to, you know, seeing what um, what's going on with YouTube and what kind of science people or mm -hmm. researchers are on there. Um, funny enough, I actually, yesterday when I was taking a nap, my girlfriend was watching, I forget his name. I should, I, I probably should look this up in anything. I'll probably link it in the, in the description below, but the, he, she was watching a, um, a doctor who was talking about, uh, the benefits of wearing a mask during the uh, COVID pandemic. Mm -hmm. 
Right. And that's the kind of stuff that gets, you know, the younger generation, mm -hmm. I would say maybe our generation and younger to essentially want to know more about what's going on because it's on a platform that's easily accessible and easily maneuverable uh, to younger people. And it's, it's, in, it's, it's, it's distributed in, in short bites. No, I completely agree. You know, And one of the questions you actually had was what can people do better to sort of um, improve health literacy and whatnot. And I definitely think that, um, so the, when people get, like learn about this health literacy sort of thing, like I said, usually the misconception is that the, not, the public doesn't know enough. So let's just bombard them with more information and they'll get, they'll get it eventually. No, mm -hmm. like um, it's really up to the um, science communicators, the media, the government, big organizations like WHO to really just sort of get lessons from the social sciences, the marketing um, people, just to see how they can better market their audience. Because, like, unfortunately, we live in an information age, I'm sure you know, where people consume information. And why not collaborate with market or marketing individuals who know how to sell mm -hmm. um, products in the product this here being health communication or health literacy. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm going to bring up a comment that uh, one of the IG viewers, Riff Runner, uh, oh, thank you for watching, by the way. Uh, he says, certain platforms are not open to research that opposes their views or findings. There's almost no accountability for being wrong, even in science and academia. Yeah. Now, I would kind of disagree. Mm -hmm. it, it depends. And the only reason why – that comment is actually pretty interesting mm -hmm. um, in regards to not having accountability for being wrong in the science community. I think that there is – and we'll get to it later because there is an article. Yeah. There is a thing that I will bring up, no, no, um, yeah. and, it, it, and it will pretty much uh, explain my position mm -hmm. uh, with all this going on. But I think that there, depending on the platform and how that information is distributed, you can have people be accountable for – being incorrect i wouldn't say wrong right. but probably saying and, and the only reason why You're i'm spreading saying misinformation yeah in misinfor way. thank you that's yeah. the correct word i'm looking for um i know yeah so like as someone within the science community like i i probably shouldn't say this but like i currently dealing with a similar situation where someone has been communicating a certain thing mm -hmm. and like the past few months my lab has been trying to replicate and reproduce it like a good science community should, mm -hmm. but unfortunately we can't mm -hmm. and other labs can't. So it's, yeah, in terms of holding people accountable within the science community, there's definitely that aspect. Well, there's a difference um, because if you're doing experimentation and then these individuals who are, you know, in those experiments are yeah. being proven incorrect by the results, you know, the only thing that can hold them accountable are the results. You yeah. can propose the experiment and keep replicating it over and over and over and over again. And if the results are consistent, then that's a disproven or that's a disproof mm -hmm. of the hypothesis, essentially, or, right. or the theory that exists it's out just, there. It's really hard, though, because especially if, oh, crap. Oh, the, the video right. on your that side. There you thought. go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, especially when you go, when you've been talking about this for years now, people, it's, it gets messy. Um, and in terms of social media now, I know like Twitter is starting to hamper down now on misinformation. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know why they haven't done that before, but, um, yeah, it's there's, a new there's era. Yeah. It's there's more accountability era. now. Mm -hmm. Um, I would even argue that, um, I don't want to say cancel culture is something to praise, but I do appreciate the accountability aspect. 
that um, that's out there. Are, yeah. Yeah. And so we'll get we'll get into the whole accountability thing. Accountability yeah. thing. Um, but I just wanted to put it out there. You know, it depends on what is going on that can hold people accountable. Mm-hmm. Like I said, you have scientists that are trying to replicate the experiment or replicate the, exu- the results coming from an experiment. And if the right. results keep coming out negative, then that's a disproof on their theory. Mm-hmm. And you can easily say yeah. that. But you can't, as an individual, say you are incorrect of, right. your, of whatever theory you're proposing because they're being experimented on. You have mm-hmm. to let those results prove them, you know, yeah. prove them incorrect. You can hold other people accountable for putting statements out there that are contrary to what they've said. Yeah, and that's what we're dealing with right now because um, because that statement was out there. Yeah, um, people started working on these and they invested money towards these mice, and people have been working on this for years now. And now that we have like some results that say, oh, that might not be what we think it is, then yes, it definitely has detrimental effects in terms of the science community there. So I, I, this, is, this is completely foreshadowing of yeah, yeah. everything that's going to be going on because uh, we still got plenty to talk about. But uh, the next question, you know, regarding this whole thing, um, you know, the next point, uh, pretty much we've already discussed it, that scientific journals aren't essentially the correct avenue to distribute the information to the public, right? So right. what is exactly in regards – I mean, mm-hmm. we, can, we, we essentially said, you know, the platform pretty much. Yeah. So uh, you matters. mentioned a great point that scientific journals are usually just for scientists. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, yeah, so it's just really knowing the platform that you're using um, is key in terms of um, this sort of topic. Like um, what I usually tell people is, sure, you can go to scientific journals, but usually you can try your best to look at perhaps review articles Mm -hmm. because usually review articles kind of simplify some of the information and you collect a bunch of other articles that contextualize and support whatever it is um, the topic may be, Mm -hmm. especially in health. Um, Okay. Yeah. So review articles, that's, that's one avenue that the public can essentially take to try to Mm -hmm. understand what's being distributed out there. Right. Um, But, Uh, Another thing to mm-hmm. sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, again. go for it, go for it, go for it. Um, no, but yeah, like it just sort of normalizing social media as a means of expanding um, your coverage of this. Mm-hmm. Like, so one of the main issues here is that with science journals, for both journal articles and review articles, is that it's behind a paywall, mm-hmm. right? Oh my God, yeah. So yeah. yeah, not only is there an accessibility and or accessibility difficulty in the language, but you have to pay for it hundreds of dollars. If you just it, mentioned the paywall and it, it hit me. I'm like, Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. Yes. That oh. was one thing that I feel like you should have mentioned in the past um, episode because uh-huh. yeah, like yes, the language is an issue, but if they can't access the actual PDF of the article, then it's makes it really difficult for people to really try to see these findings and see why the scientists are going about. I will. Um, I'll say this. I think that I was a little bit ignorant because of the, of the tools that were made available to me during my mm-hmm. undergrad. Right. You know, as a, as a student in any college, depending on yeah, what school you like, go to, you have these tools for free. 
Yes, you, you have, have literally this accessibility. Yeah, you don't have to pay for any of these things to essentially access that information. It's literally mm -hmm. there. You have your student ID and the library, and they have a buttload of. Um, it's not like a professional word ease, but you have like a buttload of, of no, 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 uh, essential journals that are necessary yeah, for different institutions. And you but if you're coming from the public, you don't have that information unless you go no. to these libraries. Yeah, and and it's ridiculous. I remember. Yeah. I, uh, the thing that annoyed me so much about some of my professors at Long Beach was they would always praise that our, um, what is it called? It's not a, it's, I, I forget what it was called. Um, the, the bank of journals that they essentially had. I cannot mm. remember what it was called. Database? The, the, thank you, the database. Yeah, yeah. So the database, they would always praise it and yeah, say, yeah. like, yeah, we have one of the largest in all Cal states and then California and all this other stuff. And, yeah, this if anybody, like, if the public tried to access it, it's, like, thousands and thousands of dollars. And in my head, I'm just like, why do you think that's a good idea? Like, how is blocking this stuff and saying that it's thousands and thousands of dollars worth of information is a good idea? You it's want to a money-making scheme, to be quite honest. <laughs> it's a, you and, want to make that information yeah. public. You want to, and it's a good thing to do so. Mm -hmm. So I was ignorant on that. I think that that's yeah. my fault for not mentioning it in the last episode. No, 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 it's okay. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's because it's like you forget. And actually, so the more – what really, like, grinds my gears is that scientists have the option to make this open access to the public. Mm -hmm. They have to pay the journal to make it open access. Mm -hmm. So – and it comes to thousands of dollars just to get the public to access your research. Mm -hmm. So it so it's just a really ingrained systematic problem for um, open access towards these articles, and that's really what I think is one of the main factors as well that mm -hmm. are preventing the public from accessing this research and accessing um, just the primary sources that organizations like the WHO are using to base their statements on. Mm -hmm. So, so sorry, I was distracted by my dog because he was like looking cool. at the door and I'm like, I don't want him to start barking. I'm recording, dog. Don't yeah. do this to me. Uh, <laughs> no, but yeah, you are right. It's like they should make this open access pretty much. Mm -hmm. um, it, and especially as it comes down to stuff like COVID-19 and SARS-CoV-2. I will say that like, with COVID, though, they have been a little bit better because yes. yeah, yeah. most of the articles that have been made public, um, mm -hmm. you know, not from scientific journals and stuff like that, but right. essentially they've you know, any news article that is behind a paywall essentially mm -hmm. said that regarding COVID, they took that paywall completely off. Right. No, yeah. Like, and I think that's great. Like, it's current. It's current. It's great. Um, but in terms of stuff like that affect you personally as well, like if you're going through some diabetes issues, mm -hmm. have some kidney failure, or if you or in my case, if you want to study, learn more about Alzheimer's disease, you still have that paywall. Mm-hmm. To deal with exactly despite the fact that these incidence rates of these diseases are skyrocketing or really high yeah um in the u.s so sandy booty uh from the ig live video uh came out and said fyi you can use your vpn to continue accessing science articles post undergrad but obviously this would be available to everyone that is a that <laughs> i mean it's not advised you know <laughs> just like just how many like times have people saying... said no, seriously, like just how in the same way that I'm not saying you shouldn't go to Sci-Hub or any other bio-archive source to get pre-printed articles. On yeah. PDF. Oh, no, you should. No, don't. No, don't do that. I mean, you see that all the time. It's like you yeah. have they always VPNs have been advertised like crazy on YouTube. Mm -hmm. You can't watch a YouTube and channel actually, without. Um, yeah. 
But yeah. no, sorry to just go on this point here. But speaking of these sort of preprints, I think this relates to the whole statement thing that's going on with the WHO that you're about to mention. Uh huh. Is that um, a lot of the research being done on COVID nineteen is being published, or so the publishing um, scheme takes a while, months even. I'm not sure whether this is accelerated because of COVID nineteen, but a lot of these labs are publishing them through preprints on these servers. Mm -hmm. um, and usually when you're publishing stuff, you want to get it peer reviewed, right? You want to have other people look into it so that, you know, that accountability thing, you want to make sure what you're saying is correct. Mm -hmm. If you need to do any additional experiments to further validate what you're saying, yeah, they will tell you. Mm -hmm. But if it's being published through a preprint, you don't have that accountability anymore. And that's some of the downsides with these servers. Yeah. And Usually people like on various social media platforms, they have access to these servers and they'll point to it and say, you know, look at these information here. Mm -hmm. For example, the asymptomatic cases or transmission of COVID-19 is, um, well, I mean, I'm sure you'll explain that. Yeah. So I think that we should probably go into yeah. that. It, honestly, yeah. I wouldn't, I didn't think that we would spend almost 30 minutes in the first two questions of it. But if it's like, if we've talked this much about these first two questions, then let's go ahead and bring up that portion yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, we talked about the accountability held, uh, you know, holding people accountable, scientists um, or spokespeople regarding certain topics, holding them accountable uh, for things that might be misinterpreted or misaid mm -hmm. or, you know, whatever it may be. Um, so we've already explained that scientific literacy is essential. Um, we need to make sure that everything is put out there well enough for the general public to essentially understand what is going on. And right now, more than ever, with COVID-19 going on, it's important. We, this is a virus that essentially is not even studied when it first started coming out. We didn't know the symptoms, you know, if, if I recall. Um, and actually, like this, actually, this related to the WHO. Um, there, I had a friend who posted something, and I commented on it, mm -hmm. uh, talking about you know his concerns about the virus and everything. And he pointed to a tweet from the WHO back in November, say, telling the public not to worry. Mm -hmm. And I was stupid and responded back in a snarky way that I regret now because I kind of made the assumption that the science community is this magical unicorn of truth and everything. <laughs> So, <laughs> just uh, like any news article that you may read out in public you always have to take everything with a grain of salt yeah. and make sure that you cross-reference everything i think and i also, mentioned like, that in other portions of the podcast as well another episode hindsight regarding is other 2020 stuff. yeah yeah hindsight is 2020 like things will change based on the knowledge that change and um not only yeah like you're saying it's really important to hold organizations accountable for changed information mm -hmm. perhaps yeah so in regards to COVID, mm -hmm. this was a virus. Is it's a, it's a virus, right? I don't want to say something yes, that. No, okay, no. I wanted to make Sorry, sure. <laughs> so, uh, let me just put it out. SARS-CoV-2 uh -huh. is the virus. COVID-19 is the disease. Is the disease okay? Yeah. So SARS-CoV or SARS? What was Cove it? COVID-2. SARS-CoV-2. Yeah. Is the virus that essentially is infecting people, and COVID-19 is the name given to the disease, right? Yes, yes, yes. And then coronavirus is just... Yeah, some... and that's what... It, yeah, so coronavirus yeah. is just another umbrella term of the specific class of viruses mm -hmm. out there. So just like how dogs, 
there's a specific class of dogs. Mm -hmm. SARS CoV 2 is specific. It's the whole umbrella thing again. It's the whole umbrella of training. Yeah, exactly. And um, we'll touch on this. I think we have, but we'll touch. So, yeah, there's like differences in the way that public understands this. Like, there was this whole debacle about what the hell do we name this thing? Mm -hmm. Uh, People, whether they wanted people called the Chinese virus, why they wanted to call it coronavirus. It was just. Um, it was, uh, it was a shit it's, show. it's it's stuff <laughs> yeah. that was just kind of like it's, it's not stuff important. that was mentioned that wasn't important yeah. Yeah. to what was going on. Like at exactly. that point, it was we don't know any of the symptoms. We're trying to figure out what to do to try to repress the um, amounts of infections and mm-hmm. those you know who are actually still infected or have been infected and are in critical condition like those were the important things but at that yeah. time people were like well what do we call it does it matter just i understand no. from a scientific perspective it's important yeah. to get the name out there because you need to label it and understand right. and you know and the differentiate itself will, from everything else yeah the science community will get hung up on all these pedantic uh, details mm-hmm. um and I think that's really what kind of troubles some of the engagement between the two. Yes. Like, um, yeah. So if you want to talk about the WHO statement. Oh, we will. Sure. We're going to get yeah. there. Yeah. We're going to get there okay. right now. Okay. So we talked about holding uh, certain researchers and scientists accountable yeah. for what has been said. And that's mm-hmm. true because you even said it yourself. You know, you look at as a, as a, as a person of science who's doing research in neurobiology, you look at your community as the say it all saints and unicorns of everything the science community is, is nothing but the truth to you right and uh, hold on, hey, hold, hold on. <laughs> wait let me backtrack <laughs> the scientific process is uh-huh. something that i hold very dear to me okay not the community the, no 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 okay. well individuals i love but the community in terms it has its own gotcha. show, and i think we so, can have another episode on this because oh we will we oh yeah, no yeah. trust me dom after yeah. this i think i've have <laughs> this is a really fun episode I, like this is like the nerd side of me coming out talking about this sort of stuff because like i'm a, I'm a I, I love science i study science to the point where i yeah it's like a hobby to me at this point like i i love yeah. just learning yeah. about yeah. this sort of yeah. stuff on my own stuff so on my own time so it's it no this stuff is interesting to me yeah yeah so sorry sorry to go back on that but no who w <laughs> going back to who <laughs> um so holding them accountable pretty much of what was being oh. said mm-hmm. um it came out what closer to the beginning of this month around june uh, we'll say this because I cannot find the article. We'll say, we'll say a couple statement. of weeks ago or something. A couple of weeks ago at the beginning of June, uh, the leading epidemiologist uh, for WHO, uh, her name was or her name is Dr. Maria Van Kirkhoff, uh, essentially came out with a statement that was translated as asymptomatic individuals uh, is to pass on the virus through an asymptomatic individual is a very rare thing. Right. And when that statement came out, a lot of news outlets grabbed onto that and essentially said, well, hold up. You mean to tell me that WHO at the beginning of this pandemic was essentially putting out there this fear that everyone needed to wear a face mask, that everyone needed to be six mm-hmm. feet apart, that everyone needed to do all these different things to prevent the disease from spreading. And now all of a sudden at the beginning of June, two, three months after the whole pandemic thing started, you're backtracking on this. Right. Why are you saying that? And literally the next day, on June 8th, June 9th, articles started coming out that Maria Van Kirkhoff, uh, Dr. Maria Van Kirkhoff, excuse me, uh, retracted the statement and essentially tried to correct herself and said mm-hmm. that 
she did not mean to say that asymptomatic symptoms or asymptomatic individuals cannot spread the disease. What she meant to say is that the findings and research that she has and hasn't been published yet um, essentially shows that asymptomatic individuals have a less likely chance of transmitting the disease than individuals who are pre-symptomatic. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, so just to understand, mm -hmm. she's saying that um, after the infection, a mm -hmm. couple of weeks after that, if you're asymptomatic, you have a less likely chance of spreading it. No. Than, no asymptomatic individuals um, who are holding on to the disease right. but aren't feeling any symptoms... I'm trying to understand it because it's 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 worded. It's, it's, yeah. it's yeah. If, if if you and I are trying to figure this out, that goes to show pretty much how poorly constructed that whole statement was. Yeah. Um, but essentially, from what I've understood, is that asymptomatic individuals are less likely to transmit the disease than mm -hmm. someone who's pre-symptomatic. You know, who right. has the disease but hasn't shown the symptoms okay. yet. So right. pre-symptomatic individuals um, who essentially will have the disease shown on them, like they will mm -hmm. exhibit the symptoms. Right. And uh, I can, com yeah. yeah, compared to someone okay. who is asymptomatic who has the disease and is probably going through it but isn't showing the symptoms at all. No. Those individuals are less likely to spread the disease than right. someone who's pre-symptomatic. And, and I can see yeah. why the public and other news articles latched onto this. Um, it's clickbait. It is. It's clickbait. It's an easy thing to essentially say, like, wait, excuse me, you mean to tell me that this high up organization that everyone takes, you know, super serious, like the CDC, mm -hmm. you know, the World Health Organization, the World Health Organization is actually retracting a statement that they themselves said was correct months ago? Like, this doesn't make any sense. Why, yeah. why are you yeah, saying yeah. this all of a sudden? Um, so that's where the accountability comes in. You know, you have individuals, those, and we're not talking about an experimentation, we're talking about statements made yeah. through findings yeah, yeah. and research. You have these individuals essentially being held accountable for what was said and what is being distributed out there. Because at this time, and again, I'm going to say it, right now more than ever, we need scientific and health literacy to get the information out there to the public. How can you as an individual trust organizations like this when they can't even figure out what was being said? It's a difficult thing to try yeah. to... It so I think what one needs to realize is that the people running this organization organization are people, mm -hmm. right? They have families affected by this disease. They have political pressures coming from powers on high to see whether this can, disease will, you know, uh, try to control the disease and whatnot. Um, yeah, I mean, I've so the way I've been sort of coping with all of this is just to realize that, yeah, like I said before, hindsight is twenty twenty. Things and research change, mm -hmm. and and yeah, like would it's really hard to determine whether you'd withhold information until you know for sure, mm -hmm. or to be precautionary and like send the information out, but take precautionary measures to make sure you know the things that you your worst fears aren't realized. Mm -hmm. So I think that's sort of what um, they were going about with this. Because, like, I mean, I don't know. Like, I guess in turn, would you have wanted the WHO to wait until they have all the information out in June? Or would you have wanted a statement with 
some precautionary measures. In it. Well, see, that's kind of it's not a difficult thing to answer because yeah. I think that in terms of what's going on right now, right. from I'm not going to look at this from a research perspective. I can't. Mm -hmm. I don't have the credentials for it, but I will say no, that I can do look I. at it from. <laughs> yeah, yeah, more experience in it. We'll, though, come, we'll look at it from an individual consumer perspective okay. who are experiencing the crap around us that Orange County is dealing with. Perfect. Okay, so um, the way that I look at it from a consumer perspective is it's appreciated that the science community, such as the World Health Organization, is coming out with snippets of information and mm -hmm. essentially keeping us updated. And not just the World Health Organization. I live in L.A. County. You live in Orange yeah. County, right? Yeah. Isn't Orange County still under the L.A. County thing? Uh, go on. Okay, go on. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> but, uh, for L.A. County, for example, I'm going to speak yeah. for L.A. County. The mayor, uh, Mayor Garcetti, essentially has had um, its 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 team, its mm -hmm. you know uh, COVID nineteen team, yeah, yeah, yeah. essentially come out with uh, updates daily, uh, mm -hmm. and that was I think last month, and it it went on for a couple weeks actually, uh, where they would update the public on essentially what was going on, how right. go to go about all these different things. That's excellent, even though we might not know exactly what's going on and it's all unknown. That mm -hmm. sort of you know distribution of information is essential, and right. that's why I think that you know, WHO releasing information little by little yeah. and not wait till June until everything is, you know, compiled all together. Yeah, yeah. That's a good thing. That's perfectly yeah. fine. Yeah. But it is important to understand that your verbiage and how you distribute that right. information is accurate. So and that's why I says, mm -hmm. or why I said and mentioned that scientists should be collaborating with marketing people, people who have experience with public relations mm -hmm. that know the sort of impact that your verbiage and your, um, use of language has on the public, especially with issues like this COVID-19. With what's going on. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. there's certain trigger words that the public will look at and essentially say, whoa, 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 hold up, hold up, what? And just kind of yeah. divert their attention to that specifically. Mm -hmm. So it is important to, you know, have a team behind that. And I think they should, because from what I've been reading, so there's two articles that I opened up. There's right. an article by uh, The Guardian, and there's another article by the time that I was looking into. The Guardian is very short. It doesn't really explain what and why she backtracked her statement. All it simply said was just kind of like the detailed summary of, you know, oh, well, she backtracked it because, you know, um, she didn't mean to say what was originally said. Um, she kind of thought that it was, you know, she meant one thing, but it would guess she, it was misinterpreted by something else. And she would like to backtrack that statement and say that this is exactly what she meant. Um, but according to the Guardian article, she's the spokesperson of this. I'm trying to see if I can find it. I don't want to say that the Guardian is the one who said it, but there was an article that I was reading that essentially said that she is the leading epidemiologist and or the epidemiologist, an epidemiologist in uh, WHO and lead researcher or spokesperson or something like that uh, for the COVID-19 team in mm -hmm. WHO. So if you are the lead communicator for this, you should know, shouldn't you? Yeah. You should know what you're saying. Mm -hmm. And so that's where the mistrust happens. That's where that, that that's in, at least in my opinion, that's where that mistrust happens because now you have a higher up coming up. Let's say that you and I are on that team, right. in that COVID-19 team, right? So we come out and we say, okay, well, you know what? Asymptomatic individuals cannot spread this as badly as pre-symptomatic individuals. But then an article comes out that says, oh, Brian and Dom essentially say this. And right. everything that was said before by WHO is false. Who can come in to correct that? The lead. Dr. Maria Van Kirkhoff. 
she can come in and say, these two researchers that were speaking misinterpreted what we were saying. And essentially, this is what's being said. And that's where you gain the trust back. But how do you... It's hard when you're like the head head. Mm -hmm. When you're the head head uh, and yeah, you yeah. make that mistake. Because now when you try to retract that statement, now where you're does the trust go? Confusion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and that's the question that a lot of individuals had. What do you do from there? How how do you gain the trust back from WHO? It's a difficult question. Yeah, it, it's it's a very difficult question. No, yeah, it's a loaded question, sure. actually. Yeah. Okay, it's a, what do you what do you think? What what? What what? How do you think they'll best go about? I mean, at um, this point, what is it? What happened? She essentially yeah. came out the day after the two days afterwards and essentially said well that's not what i meant i think that the news articles misinterpreted what i was saying and this is exactly what i meant that pre-symptomatic individuals are more likely to spread the disease than asymptomatic mm -hmm. individuals and so i mean that's the most you can do at this point especially if you yeah. were the lead uh for covid research at who that's the most you can do um it's difficult because i think and this is a whole other thing for another episode yeah. but my opinions on who right now are pretty much you know yeah it, it's it's it's, yeah. it's it's all over the place because and, things were said and you mm -hmm. know there's some stuff that they haven't done well enough but that's where we have to hold them accountable and that's yeah. where i think that your idea of cross-referencing and making sure that you know you're not just getting your stuff from one side is important you right. have to get it from multiple and different sources yeah the time article that you mentioned says that the statement was based on a preprint what we were talking about mm -hmm. earlier, you know, getting it from Med Archive. Mm -hmm. um, so and especially if, like if you're a government figure trying to navigate through this COVID nineteen space, a little bit more hesitancy on publishing preprint preprint research. And most of the and some stuff was coming out from articles or from journals that weren't even published yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's where we have to hold them accountable, yeah. and I think that it goes back to this whole science and health literacy aspect of it who is responsible to distribute this information to the public? When you have someone at WHO, a lead, again, I keep stressing that because it's important, yeah. that couldn't figure out how to properly translate what was being no. said to the public. Yeah, because, no, for sure. Like this mm -hmm. instance, I can see in trainings in the future for future science communicators of like, you always have like to keep training. To do. <laughs> so, yeah. so what? How do we improve on that? I think yeah. that's a good way to end this 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 episode of a uh, this podcast, pretty much on health literacy. How do we improve researchers and scientists, uh, the newer generation that's going to be coming in? How can we improve on their distribution, regurgitation, whatever you want to call it, of their findings oh, to the to I the think public? And hang on, I have hold up, Don. Some, oh yeah, go ahead. Not just researchers, but then I'm going to ask you this as well. Who is responsible? Whose responsibility is it to distribute that information to the public? All right. Uh, I'm gonna, just going to answer the, the first, part. first one. Okay. No, no, the last one, because that's the first one I remember right now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, who's responsible? It's, oh, God. I think... You want to go into a field that's research. I know. Right? Yeah. Or you're so in a field of research. Okay, so... In the base or like in the front lines, it's definitely the researchers who have this responsibility of communicating their science effectively and make sure like no um, ambiguous terms or any other way of interpreting it mm -hmm. can be used for misinformation or anything. I think 
the government, these organizations have a responsibility of making sure that they have people with the expertise and knowledge of how to market and how to sell this information to the public. Um, and then I think the public has a responsibility to, you know, not take things, take things with a grain of salt. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, it's really easy for someone to um, just rely on things because he said, she said, you know, it's just based on titles and organizations, like what people were saying with the WHO, right? Just because it's the WHO, it doesn't mean they don't make mistakes. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely, it's, I'm going to say a distributed responsibility in terms of how they can all do better. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. it's it's given to pretty much everyone. It's everyone yeah. should be accountable, held accountable. Yeah. Not just yeah. the researchers, but essentially those um, people that are studying communications, essentially studying it and like funding it, like the government, or just sort of have respons those who have responsibility to the public to have them know. Everyone has a responsibility to sort of hold this accountable, but also to make sure that they don't take things with a grain of or not they don't take things without, I guess, consulting. Gotcha. Now, if you're saying that the responsibility should be held or by everyone, what can these individuals do to improve upon the communication right. of health and sciences to the public? So I definitely think that you can't do this quickly. Mm -hmm. Like it takes time in the same way that it takes time for you to like understand the parts of a car or to understand the parts of um, – health sciences it takes time um and i definitely think that if you like as a person outside the science community if you take time to see and just sort of diversify your social network of people who you follow mm -hmm. um and who you can like sort of somewhat rely on upon for um the sort of information it definitely helps mm -hmm. but that's coming from like an um, individual standpoint in terms of education-wise, mm -hmm. I definitely think the academia needs to step up in terms of embracing the forms of media that are available to engage the public and communicate the research. Gotcha. Okay. Um, yeah. So I want to give my two cents in on this mm -hmm. because I do agree with you on – certain aspects of it i think most of it but i do want to expand on it just a little yeah, bit yeah, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. i do think that the responsibility should be held by everyone um you know it, when during my undergrad i was pretty much told that a lot of researchers who you know do their experimentations and stuff like that some of them get really hard-headed and want their theories and hypotheses to pre be proven true essentially right. and, and who they cannot? will i mean yeah you, you, you can't yeah, yeah. you yeah. can't all the time but you have and they want to replicate the results to their standards over and over right. and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And that waste funding, all that other stuff, yada, 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 you know, science, yeah. stuff like that. Um, but the responsibility should, should be held by everyone. So if you're a researcher and you're trying to do research on a important thing that is going to affect everyone in the public, then understand the benefits and the necessities for your research to exist. This isn't just to prove your name or anything like that. This is essentially right. information that should be held to or given to the public, especially with something like Corona right now or COVID-19. Right. You know, right, 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 this right. is stuff that needs to be out there. So if a researcher is going in, I get it. You want your name out there and all this other stuff. But most important thing right now is to make sure that that information gets out there responsibly. And mm -hmm. then individuals who are studying communications, health science communications, or understanding how to create, or studying, excuse me, not understanding, studying 
um, criteria for education at a high school, elementary, or middle school, right. or college. Like, they need to understand how to properly read these journals and dissect it so they can develop proper, you know, avenues to distribute this information. Yeah. I mentioned it earlier in the episode. I said, um, Bill Nye the Science Guy was my gateway into sciences, and I think mm -hmm. that we don't have that anymore. When it comes to science for kids, who's the thing that comes to mind? Right. No, I, yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, like, it, it doesn't exist as much anymore, you know? No. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, mm, yeah, yeah. In terms of like early exposure to, I guess the scientific process mm -hmm. and just what the sciences do, it's definitely a lot has changed since that. Um, but I mean, yeah, like I said before, there's different mediums that different scientists are going about to engage these populations of these demographics. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, there's definitely an effort from the science community to break into that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that answers the responsibility portion of it. And then there was the other part, which now I'm completely forgetting. And I don't understand why. Um, oh, what can, can, what can researchers and uh, those that are regurgitating the information out to the public, what can they do to improve on it? I think yeah, it's understanding I mean, the platforms. Yeah, um, for sure. This is something that is honestly been discussed multiple times. Um, at, at least for my undergrad, I don't know if you're familiar with this whole discussion about how medical technology will always advance at a pace that most hospitals can't progress at. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar no, with that or sense. no? No, but that makes sense to me. Okay. So yeah. So essentially for like, the listeners that aren't really familiar with it, it's, you have medical technology available to hospitals, um, but it's not publicly available yet because it's still being worked on and so on and so forth mm -hmm. but it also costs a lot of money right so and then that's you the have thing, the main mm, thing, yeah. so you have hospitals using last generation you know hardware or software and then they're trying to catch up and they can't because it costs too much or they just don't have access to it so on and so forth so they can't advance at that pace it's the same way with education you have a lot of tools at your at your disposal and a lot of individuals aren't able to catch up and understand it. Right. So right now, when we think of our generation, you have YouTube, uh, you have the internet, and the internet is expanding and ever-changing. Yeah, yeah. um, but then you have tools available. Like, think of it this way, Dom. Ten years ago, you and I wouldn't be having this conversation. No, of course not. No, no we wouldn't have, because mics at this level that we're using, even though they're, you know, $100 mid-tier mics, you know. Okay, why you got to call me out on hey, that? Hey, no. Try, <laughs> <laughs> Before the episode, I already told you that your Blue Yeti is essentially the same uh, level as my HyperX mic, except mine yeah, is made yeah. for gaming and yours is made for actual talking. But, you know, that's what I'm saying is that, you know, these $100 yeah. mics 10 years ago would have been stuff that we wouldn't have even have access to. No, uh, and like um, ten years ago, research articles were being um, published in actual magazines that people had to buy. Mm -hmm. It wasn't expand or it wasn't um, in the internet. So yeah, the health literacy there was even less. Like people couldn't access the research for themselves ten no. years ago. So everything is changing, and so yeah. I think that right now the scientific community needs to adapt to that. Mm -hmm. If you want to properly give out or distribute the information to the public they need to find a pace that doesn't match the growth of technology but they do need to find a pace that can make it comfortable can... for them and for the public yeah so that's Basically, my catch up. <laughs> yeah they no, need, they need sure. to catch up they can't just be yeah. 
and and that has to do with the gen the, the last generation not being able to adapt to it or not wanting to yeah. there's a lot of different variables no, but honestly, that's my like, belief and on a positive note to hopefully sort of conclude things is that there is a large movement to expand um the way science is being distributed being engaged with the public it's a large movement like i think that and I don't mean to be so blunt here, but as like as the older generation leave, <laughs> I uh, the younger generation definitely is like pushing things to the newer yeah um, yeah boundaries. Like um, there, I know so many graduate students who are utilizing like media like Twitter. I have I one of my great close friends um, utilizes TikTok to communicate science. There's and, a lot of that going on right now. Yeah, and like yeah, there are people that are the creative people who are, you know, pushing the boundary of sort of public engagement. Uh -huh. And not only that, I think it's also important that um, the science community sort of collaborates with the communities that they're trying to, you know, um, affect. Like if you have a scientist who's going to um, deal with the Zika virus mm -hmm. um, outbreak, they better know Spanish yeah. or, mm -hmm. you know, collaborate with the communities um, that are being affected by this. I was actually reading an article um, for all this about how the language uh, that you oh, use the language barriers yeah, stuff. Yeah. can change. Like here in uh, Mexico or in LA, people have been using um, the word, the Spanish word for risk mm -hmm. um, in a way that doesn't hold that um, emotional connotation. And so scientists have been using risk and like a direct translation of risk, but to be able to like work uh, different languages to really communicate the um, cultural, um, the emotional weight of that in terms of the culture is definitely something that science needs to work on. So now researchers, instead of using risk, they're using dangers because mm -hmm. that holds more of a weight than just um, a direct translation there. Of course, of course. Yeah. I think we've exhausted this. And to add, I think that we just figured out what the next topic could be when I bring you on this podcast again. Oh, Technology I, I, in science. Yep, for sure. Like there, there we go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I like coming. I like as I was preparing for this, there was just, like a bunch of things. I was like, I kind of want to talk about this with him too, because like there's a topic about science being whether it's political or not, and I think that's oh. like. That's the kind yes. of thing that's like, yeah, <laughs> that will be perfect for this podcast. Oh, man. Oh, my God. Dom, I love you. Thank you. That's the stuff I want to talk about. So, yeah. listeners, like, look forward that to I that. I will die on are these kind of topics. So, yeah. We'll... Oh, man. I'm going to write all this down at the end of this episode, yeah. and I'm gonna uh, we're going to keep in touch, buddy. We're pro I'm going to really probably bring you back within the next couple of weeks just to talk about sure. this. You know, just, yeah, yeah, this is great. This is fantastic. Um, yeah, and I so actually what I wanted to plug in is mm -hmm. that go for it. Um, I can perhaps like come up with a Google Docs of references mm -hmm. for people to go through links that are open access or totally not downloaded from a VPN that will give to the public or anything. Oh no, yeah, but, because VPN. But, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, I can come up with like um, a Google Docs of things so that your listeners can like peruse some readings mm -hmm. that I think are pretty accessible. Um, to non-scientists in terms of this exact conversation in terms of science communication and accountability, particularly health. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Okay. That I would, I would greatly appreciate that. And I'll put those For in sure. the description below as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll get so, to that. 
quick or little conclusion that we're gonna that I'm gonna do right now. Uh, we were recording uh, this on Friday, and I actually Dom had the brilliant idea of uh, doing a IG live video. Uh, we were both. Uh, I think what is it, dual sharing or whatever it's called, yeah, yeah, yeah. or co-streaming or whatever. Or whatever. Yeah. yeah, that video died like <laughs> fifteen minutes. But that's okay. Like, yeah, we it's still, okay. We'll we still this. rolled with the punches, whatever. <laughs> but it was a great idea. So I think I might yeah. actually start implementing that with some other uh, people I bring in. So Dom, sure. I thank you for that. As I thank you for that yeah, idea. No um, but Dom, you will go ahead plug in. Uh, you'll send me those links, and I'll put those yes. in the description below. Do you want to plug in anything for yourself? Where maybe people um, can find you? Yeah. So I'm. On Instagram at Damo Javo Bean mm-hmm. V with a capital V. He'll put it on the text or something. But yeah, um, I'm mostly if you really want to know more about the science community and the young generation that is sort of leading the next field. I'm also on Twitter as well, DJ Neuron Nerd, because obviously <laughs> um, <laughs> as a neurobiologist. <laughs> yeah, um, but no, yeah, like a lot of my retweets, a lot of my followers. They are grad students, they're young professors, they're undergrads, too, um, that have thoughts. And usually, so, like, I don't know if this is sort of a bad thing, but most of my information has come from Twitter, basically, because most of the science community that I'm um, connected to mm-hmm. is on Twitter. And so, like, sharing that opinions and sharing those thoughts um, is important to me, and especially in terms of what's been going on um, the past weeks with um, the police brutality and with COVID-19, the news media can interpret things differently. And I feel like Twitter has a more raw um, perspective. They have a lot of different uh, articles that you can look up and, you know, different perspectives and stuff. So I, and you're very active on Twitter as well. So I'll go ahead and post your socials in the the description below. Um, That's on the YouTube channel. Uh, quick little conclusion on my side. Uh, if you are listening on Spotify, in the description, there will be a link to the YouTube channel where I also upload these every Friday at noon. Um, you can go ahead and click on that link, give me a subscribe, and that way you can keep up to date with all the podcasts and some other content that I'm working on. I've just been kind of lazy to do it, but it'll be up there. It'll be not just serious podcast stuff discussions, but it'll be more like, you know, fun stuff that I want to work on. Um, so that'll be all up on there. And if you're listening to the YouTube side, uh, in the description below, there's a link that links you over to the Spotify channel. Give me a follow there. And that way you can listen to those at ease using Spotify rather than YouTube. Cause I know YouTube has that YouTube premium stuff. And if you don't have it, you can't listen while your phone is off. So give me a follow on Spotify. Give me a subscribe on YouTube. I'll also link some, uh, socials in the description below as well. Um, other than that, Dom, I think that about concludes everything. Am I missing anything from your side, or are you good? No, 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 we're good. Yeah, yeah. We're good. Um, we got your plugins. Yeah. I've got my plugins. Um, it was good, and uh, hopefully we'll do this again soon. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I will bring you back. Hopefully within July, maybe. It's closer yeah, yeah, to the yeah, end yeah. of June, anyway. So yeah, definitely. My people I do want... will talk to your people. Oh, <laughs> my people. Keep keep an eye for my people. They'll they'll be yeah, in touch yeah. with you. Okay. And if you listeners sure. were interested in actually listening or want something like maybe a live recording of this, we can you know let me know. I can go ahead and uh, have some other people come in and you know stream this on their IG lives, or I can find some other platform to stream this live, and that way you can listen to the podcast as they're being recorded rather than wait every Friday at noon because this is coming out you know literally a week after we've had the discussion. And hopefully nothing changes. Mm-hmm. Knock on wood. You know, everything yeah. stays the same. Um, but oh, with, yes. Um, I just want to add one thing. Yes. So today is Friday, June 19th. Yes. It is Juneteenth. Yes. So I would like to encourage your listeners to 
follow, especially in this topic, follow black scientists on social media, see what they have to say, listen to them. So, so the science community is plagued with microaggressions and racism. So their input is just as important. It is. Especially from the black side. 100%. Community. So this won't come out on Juneteenth, but it yeah. will be up a week afterwards. And regardless yeah. of it not being the day, I, I stand 100% for advocating and educating individuals about this sort of stuff i'll be honest mm. i've you know been trying my best as well to learn about these sorts yeah. of things as well so one i appreciate you bringing that up as well dom um all of that please 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 be aware and just know that this is important things to talk about and to make sure that we bring it up so thank you dom for bringing that up no, for sure even if it's a week afterwards it does not matter it is still yeah. important a week a month a year from now whatever it is yeah. it's because well, why important. not why not why yeah. not exactly yeah. sorry we got to close this because I'm, I'm sure you're going too long <laughs> it's an hour and ten i don't think this is the longest episode i've had it's a little under but thank okay. you dom for being on this yeah. episode and thank you listeners for tuning in to this episode of drinking matters my name is brian this was dom we'll catch you guys in the next one take care <laughs>